So we're about three quarters of the way done with Philippians. How many have enjoyed this letter? Okay. How many have read the letter before? And how many of you have discovered new things that God has highlighted to you or taken you deeper in within this letter? Okay. Has it been easy? Has it been challenging? Yeah. Uh, very curious that this is a letter of joy, right? It, traditionally, we go, this is a joy letter, and there's a lot of joy in it, but it's really, really hard. Uh, Paul is addressing a church that's pretty healthy. And he's exhorting them to stay healthy, but as we know, it's harder to be healthy than it is unhealthy, is it not? It's easier to make bad decisions than good decisions at times. Or the right decision. It's very challenging. So wholeness, health, it takes work. It takes, it does take effort to stay in the presence of God. Because we are tempted by the unhealthy decisions that we have to make. And so Paul knows this because he's dealing with other churches that supposedly know Jesus. And guess what? They're not making healthy decisions. Now he has the privilege of writing a letter to a church that is healthy, but guess what? He wants them to stay healthy. And the passage we heard this morning, or we're going to go through this morning, uh, is a, it's loaded. Okay, it's a loaded passage. And we're going to drill down into a few spots here, but it's also a passage historically that has been abused. When we hear the words, forget what is behind and what? Caress on. Our approach to it in the past has been, eh, just forget everything. And it's used as an excuse to not address conflict, to not confront. Just press on, forget it. Oh, you had a bad encounter with someone, just forget about it and move on. And I'm going to make the argument this morning that is not what Paul is saying. It, it, it's not consistent with the context of the book, the context of Jesus, and how he works in us and moves in us. And we'll find, I hope, a deeper understanding and appreciation for what Jesus has done in Paul. Oftentimes we have this uh, thing that goes on in us as Christians where we like to live and, and still carry our, our sinful decisions. How many of that? Right? It, it weighs on us. And we feel guilt and we feel shame. But wait a minute. Am I not, now that I've accepted Jesus redeemed, am I not renewed? Am I now not bound to the consequence, the eternal consequence of sin? I'm not. Does that mean, and Paul says, does that mean we keep on sinning on purpose and take advantage of that? No. But he doesn't want us to live in that. It's, it's so easy for us to do that. And we have this Eeyore mentality. Woe is me. One of my, I, I, I love telling you what annoys me because I feel safe. <laughs> but a challenging, a challenging verse in one of my favorite hymns, it's, I love this hymn, but it's a challenging one for me, is Amazing Grace Saved a Wretch Like Me. Every time I hear it, I move from new life in Jesus to, oh, yeah, I'm that. 
Now, that's where I go. I, I'm not saying that's what the song is meant to do. But we often do that, do we not? We go to this place of, I'm saved, but I'm, I'm this. And then, I, you know, I watch Winnie the Pooh with Gracie, you know, and you look at Eeyore, and he's surrounded by good friends that love him, and he's still, oh, no one likes me. No one loves me. And it's just this, it's just this constant thing we do. And Paul, in this passage, is going to say, no more. Stop that. That's not what you're meant for. And that's not, and that's not to shame anyone. It's to say, because that's where we'll go. I mean, it's easy to go there because we're familiar with that. But it's really, really hard to stay healthy. I mean, just think about it. You got to exercise physically, right? You got to eat the right things. You got to take care of yourself. It's a lot of work to stay healthy. And sometimes it's easier to go back to what's easy. Even though it's not beneficial for us. So keep that in mind as we engage this passage. So, okay. Did it work? All right. So here's what Paul says. Not that I have already obtained all this. And let me, let me back up just for a second, because last week Mark did one of, I thought, one of his best sermons, one of his best messages, talking about trust. And that Paul wants to know God, know Jesus in his sufferings, in his life, everything. He trusts him. And so this is what he says afterwards. Not that I have already obtained all these things or have already arrived at my goal, but I what? Press on to what? Take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me, who he is, new life in Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. Now, this is not superstar Paul practicing false humility. <laughs> because he does say throughout the, book, throughout the letter, model yourselves after me because I model myself after Jesus. So he's not saying, you know, I'm real, I, I am pressing into this stuff. I'm doing really well. I've not obtained it, though. <sighs> He's not, he's not doing that. There's always more. There's always more to step into. So he's saying, I have not taken, on this side of heaven, probably won't take hold of it fully. There's always more to take hold of, but we need to keep pressing in and take hold of that, of Jesus, who he is, allow himself to imprint on our lives, and then he is modeled in our lives. Take hold of it. Press on. Keep going. But it doesn't mean that we forget, memory-wise, the things ahead, because that's how we can celebrate the good, is knowing where we came from, right? Testimonies. Whoa! I was this, but now I'm this. And Paul's like, let's stay in this and not go back to this. So here we go. I'm, I, I want to bring Mark up here because I love parading him in public because I know he loves it. I want you to bear with me here. Who has a Bible? Can I, someone have a Bible? Oh, that's a good, that's a big Bible. All right. So Mark has got what? He's got a hold of two Bibles or two things in his life right now. 
in each hand. Now, what I want you to do is take this one, and without dropping that or that, hold it just like you're holding that. Can you do it? Ah. <laughs> you can't let go. Cheater, cheater. I'll keep you up here longer. I've been thinking He's been thinking of ways between service. How can I do this and mess up his analogy? <laughs> but if I want him to hold this just like that, what does he have to do? He has to drop one. He has to let go of something. You can sit now. I thought he'd be cooperative, but he proves my point. He's going back to what is old and how he used to get in trouble. And we've been trying to challenge him to press on, buddy. But he has to let go of that in order to receive something else. Paul is challenging us to let go of those things that we go back to that is occupying space that belongs now to Jesus. And if we don't let go of those, can we receive fully the way in which God wants us to who he is? No, I mean, have you ever watched someone who's got their arms full of groceries, this and that, and then they try to open a door? It is highly entertaining. And then you have those self-doer people where you go, can I help you? No, I got it. (laughs) Clearly. Clearly. But we we don't like that. It is really challenging for us to receive the good things when we don't feel we deserve them. Now, we do our best to understand grace, but it is something that you're not to understand and try to figure out but receive because you will not be able to figure it out. If you had, we would never have a moment of not being able to receive good things. If we could fully figure out grace, I could have a, Mark could buy me a cup of coffee without me grimacing. Someone could buy me lunch without me going, I'll get it next time. Who's done that? So as much as we think we know about Jesus and his grace, we still have trouble receiving that and allowing that to occupy the space of our hearts in everyday little things. If we can't receive a cup of coffee that someone wants to give us that we didn't earn, how are you going to receive grace? How are you going to receive the gift of salvation? Because we do it intellectually pretty well. I know I believe this. But how do we allow it to occupy our space so that we're willing to go through the process of our junk without it taking us back here, but allowing us to press forward? Because the language we're going to see here in just a minute is not, this is easy language. This is easy. We got this. So Paul says, you know, grab hold of these things. I've not fully done it yet, but he says this. But there's one thing I do that I have that I kind of got down. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now, this links directly to verse 8 where where Paul says, I consider everything what? Loss. And Christ is everything. Now, when we hear the word consider... When you consider something, are you not going through mental gymnastics of process? If Mark, God forbid, gets another job offer, 
He has to consider everything that would go into making that decision. Where he is, what are the implications, prayer, all of these things he has to consider. So when we hear forgetting what is behind and straining towards what it is ahead, that is not saying, you know what, I got a beef here with this person and I'm just going to forget about it and I'm just going to prance on. Paul went through process to get to a point where he can say, all of this stuff is a loss. I don't pour my energy into that. It wasn't just one day he goes, you know what, I'm done. He had to think, wrestle. He says the word straining. That is not a helpful word for us, is it? I mean... And it's amazing to me how people will go, forgetting what's behind and straining towards what is ahead. So that gives me an excuse to not deal with my stuff. I saw that growing up in various people. I said, have you worked this out with this person? No. Scripture says to forget that stuff. No, it doesn't. How do you get from point A to point B? It's not teleportation. There's a process. There's an in-between. Is there not? How many are runners in here? Because this is the language we see. Okay. How many have run a marathon? All right. The rest of you, who's watched a marathon? (laughs) Okay. Like the whole thing? (laughs) It's long. (laughs) I will tell you this. When we hear press on to the goal to finish the race, to do that, to do this, you cannot show up in starting line 100 pounds overweight, your greatest cardio is going from the chip bag to your mouth, and get on the line and against all these other people and then beat them, win them, win the race. I mean, is that realistic? Now, you've got those genetic phenoms that wake up and feel like, I'm going to climb Everest with no oxygen, and I've never even seen a mountain, and they do it, okay? But that's not what we're talking about here. Those people drive me crazy, by the way, <laughs> just because I feel inadequate. You have to train. You have to strain. You have to wrestle. You have to go through the process of being equipped for that. Because those of you that have ran a race or a marathon, there's a point where all your training is put to the test, where your mind starts to click on, going, my body's really tired. I'm, I'm done. Is that true, runners? And now you've got to begin to trust that you've been equipped to finish and to finish well. When we have Jesus, we are equipped to finish and to finish well. We don't have to keep reverting back to stuff, but yet we do. And this, uh, this, this verse can be a stumbling block for us. When we hear the word, I press on. Pressing is not a gentle word, is it? There's pressure. There's Friction. There's something happening. How many of you uh, in, in your family, when one of your family members have a, has a bruise, you see it as an invitation to go, is that a bruise? And then push it. How does that feel? How do they, they go, that hurts, right? So when Paul says press on toward the goal, he doesn't say prance on. He says press on because it's going to be challenging. It's going to be hard. And here's the deal. The goal is not to just have a a million different churches. It's to model the love of God. 
That's what it is. When we talk about go and make disciples, it's what Paul's doing. Where at the end of the day, he can go, I'm sending Timothy to you because there's no one like Timothy. Because Timothy has watched him. He has modeled Jesus to Timothy who was modeling Jesus to these people. We've got this production mindset that I've got to do this so I can do this, which will produce this. And all these churches and all these people. And then we call that being saved and on fire for Christ. Well, it got them to the starting line to say yes to Jesus. But how do they learn to live in Jesus? By watching those of us that have learned and are learning. The learning will never stop, but we're modeling it. So when Paul says forgetting uh, what was, he's not talking about throw it away from your memory. Now it's time to hit the hard stuff. Because again, it's harder to be healthy than it is to be unhealthy. And we may not deal, have to, we may not worry, have to worry about now that we're in Christ Jesus, we don't have to worry about the consequences of sin eternally, spiritually, but we do, but we do in this world physically, right? There's certain decisions we made, saved or not, that have consequences in this world. Am I wrong? And those we do have to deal with. You can't just forget those. Because that's an invitation for us to step in, bring Jesus into that situation, and watch him transform it and bring healing. And now you're stepping more fully. You're taking another step in that race. And you're taking hold of more firmly of who he is. We're so afraid of confrontation. We're so afraid of conflict. And we use verses like this as a scapegoat to get us out of the responsibility to model the love of God, which means we got to deal with our stuff and allow Jesus into that process. I love that, and I didn't even know this, I love that we were, well, I did in theory, but um, we showed a video of Joni going through soul care, what soul care has done, and that's kind of a process to deal with those things so we can take a hold more firmly of what God is doing. To run the race well, and it is not, correct me if I'm wrong, the process of dealing with your own stuff, even the safety of soul care, is not fun. Watching what God does in it, through it, and out of it is, but the process is horrible. (laughs) And I've been through it and continue to go. And I, I realize that, you know, some of the stuff in my own life uh, still has a hold of me. I'm, I'm settled in that, okay, I, I'm redeemed and all of that, but there are certain things that, that happen to us that leave a lasting impression that it's not as easy to just go, I'm going to forget about that and move on. Because you can try to avoid the things that have happened in your life, but they catch up to you, do they not? They affect your behavior. They affect how you see Jesus, your picture of Jesus. They affect your relationships. Then now we can't do good relational work and model Jesus as, as the one who loves us dearly and brings healing to the broken because we're broken. And we want to get out of having to do the hard work. And Paul's like, no, if you're going to be this vibrant church, you cannot go back to what was, but you do have to deal with the things that are. See, Paul's also addressing that in all these different churches, they were going, when, when it got hard, when persecution happened, when living for Jesus and with Jesus got really tough, they would go back to what they know. And so he's saying, don't go there. 
Step into this. And what, but when you do, understand, it's good. you got to press into it. you got to strain into it. For me, I, the first time I went to soul care was a courtesy. Because Diane was doing it. I'm like, oh, I love Diane. And, I, you know, my stuff's all figured out. So I've taken hold of and I've arrived. For those of you that think there's ever a moment where you, where you will arrive on this side of heaven, you're wrong. <laughs> That will not happen, ever, because there's always more to experience of God and more transformation he can do, and that's amazing. But I, I, I remember walking out of the soul care session, sharing some stuff, and Mark is witness to this. I was l- literally bouncing off the hallway walls because for, for the first time, I really started to engage my stuff that had influenced the way I was living and the decisions I was making. And I knew a portion of Jesus, but I did not know this portion of Jesus. I would not press on. I would not forget or deal with those things. And so uh, I just went to one recently to get a checkup is what I call it. And I had dealt with sexual abuse when I was younger, um, from neighbors and some other places. And when I got to the point where I could talk about it, I thought that that was my healing. Literally, I know I was scratching the surface. And I continued to, was encouraged to press in, and it was horrible. I hated every moment of it. I love what God does in it, how it frees you. But let's be honest, doing that kind of work, who likes that? The process of it. Anybody? No, it's the in-between. It's the in-between of what was and what is and what's going to be, you know, in Jesus. But it's that in-between stuff where Jesus meets us and he takes us through so we can know more fully his love, his grace, his redemptive qualities, more fully how unbelievably loved you are and we are collectively. And nothing can take that from you. When you go through situations that take a piece of you and feel like they don't give it back, you, you think there's no hope, but Jesus wants to walk us through. Paul's even saying, walk through it, because if you don't, you won't know what I know. This guy went through the ringer of sin, thinking it was righteous, and he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he gets slapped upside the face and has to deal with his stuff. You don't think he went through the process of healing and wholeness? He can't know the love of God without going through it. Because you don't see, if you don't go through it, that it redeems every moment of challenge and heartache and every peace that was stolen from you. And when I went to the last one, I began, I began to realize that I started praying for my abusers. And for years, I just wanted them to die. I did, horribly. I would picture If God said, you can get payback, what I would do? That's not God, because he was there going, forgive them, for they know not what they do. How do we get to a place, a process where Jesus, where we can say to all the people that have oppressed us and the people we've oppressed, forgive them. They know not what they do. This is not a forget and move on. This is a don't live in this, live in this. And we will deal with this together. And we do that. You will be this vibrant church that I'm writing to. You will not only stay that, you won't stay that. You'll go beyond that. You will go further than you can possibly imagine. 
We just got to get out of our own way. We got to let Jesus be Jesus. And that's what he says in the next verse. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. Everything he said, he's saying, this should be your mind too. Because what I'm telling you is Jesus. Next week, we'll hear him say again, model yourself after me because I model myself after Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too, God will make clear to you. Who? God. Only let us live up to what we've already attained, the love of God, that beautiful relationship with Jesus. Live in that. Now let's look at this. And if one... And if on some point you think differently, that too, God will make clear to you. No one else can do that for you. Only God can. And then it's your your job to make it clear for someone else. What I mean by that is that sometimes we try to convince ourselves or to convince others. How does that go? Man, I'll tell you, I was terrible at evangelism growing up. You know why? Because I try to convince people of Jesus instead of allow myself to go through the process of life with Jesus and allow them to see that. That doesn't mean there isn't opportunities to share verbally. That's not, I'm not saying that. But sometimes we try to convince and let God do it through you. Just because you're talking about him doesn't mean he's blessed that avenue of ministry in that moment. Because, right, we do a lot of things for Jesus. It probably shouldn't be done in that way. Some of the worst things in this world have been done in the name of Jesus that weren't from Jesus. Paul is trying to say it's about what you model. It's not about high production on all these churches. Those are important. We want to build churches, but churches are built out of relationship, relational encounters with Jesus. That's how the body of Christ is built up. People coming into relationship with Jesus, not just because we have a good strategic plan. All of it's going to come down to how you deal with your stuff so that you can become more like Jesus every day and so people can watch it happen. That's how the church has grown. We talk about church plans, we talk about this. It's those people going to specific locations saying, hopefully with confidence, model after me because I model my life after Jesus. So let's get this straight. Paul knows what he's doing because he experiences it every day. He's considered it. And he can count all these things as loss. Think about the things we tie ourselves to and they have pieces of us. Money. That's a big one. Am I going to have enough? Am I going to be able to eat? Am I gonna... And it all comes back to the trust that we talked about last week and we will always talk about. Because that's pressing in. Right? It's pressing in. I've been abused in some way. I've been oppressed in some way. This, this, and that. And all of those things, if we just forget about it and try to move on, then we can't fully appreciate the gift of Jesus. Because you don't see what he redeems. You just begin to step into the idea that that reality sounds better than the one you were in. But when you engage your stuff with Jesus, it doesn't just sound better. It is better. Because now you've allowed to take root and manifest itself within you. And now you can say with confidence, model your life after me. 
Not what I say, but what I do. Because what I do is stay with Jesus. I'm tired now. And mature, in the Greek, it's the same word as perfect. But we're not talking about perfection as flawless. It's something that we have to be very careful of because when you hear be perfect as I am perfect, we're like, whoa, I have to be flawless? It's more about proximity. So let's put it this way. If Jesus says, be perfect as I am perfect, this is what he's saying. Be as close to the Father as I am. Because when you do that, maturity, who I am, is going to birth out of you. And then not know that you're mature. <laughs> That's humility. It's not saying that, it's not diminishing yourself. It's not, you, you know, Paul is humble, but he knows who he is and who's within him. But maturity is about proximity to Jesus. Righteousness, proximity to Jesus. Holiness, proximity to Jesus. Wholeness, proximity to Jesus. Healthiness, proximity to Jesus. This is what we're questing after. This is, over and over, Paul keeps it simple like this, and then we complicate it. But he, he rings true. I mean, he even tried his convi- you know, the convincing tactic with the Romans, and he's because he can talk like that. This guy's an educated man, but it wasn't working. It was seen just as another thing, another form of philosophy. And then he realized, you know what? I got to keep it to this. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I don't need to convince. I will just show. That's our call. To do the hard work. To not run from it, to not avoid it, but do the hard work. And know that everyone to the left and the right of you is doing the same thing. This was not written to one person. This was written to a, col- a collection of people, to a church. It's not a me or an I thing. It's a we thing. But that means we have to continue to be vulnerable to him and to one another. And that can be challenging, but that's part of pressing in on the goal, the race. That pretty clear? Okay. Hard? Yeah. But we don't have to do it alone. Praise God. Let's pray. Lord, we, we give you thanks and praise that you are with us and that um, we are with one another and help us stay there. Lord, we want to continue to trust you. Thank you that we don't have to worry about whether we can trust you. You are God that cannot lie. So when you say we can trust you, we can trust you. And I just thank you for that. Sometimes it's hard to know where we stand, but we thank you that we know where we stand with you and we want to stay there. So I pray that uh, you would protect us and strengthen us as we go through the hard stuff. Not living in the sinful image that we once were, but living in your redemptive love as we engage the wounds and the tough things in our lives so that we can know more fully who you are and reflect and model more fully who you are. 
I pray as we take the offering that you would bless it, that when we see that plate, we don't feel anxiety or fear, but we get an overwhelming feeling of your trust, of your provision, and that we would be good stewards and honor you with everything that we give, financially, relationally, our time. It's all yours. So bless us as we continue to worship in spirit and in truth. We thank you for who you are in Jesus' name. Amen.